0: Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I receive I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to Scriptures, and that he has appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers at the same time, most of whom were still living. Through some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle. I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed.
1: Good morning. Happy Easter. He's risen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for rising. Lord, everything that's Christianity hinges on the resurrection. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use your humble servant this morning to deliver a message that you want people to hear. God, I pray for your spirit to be in our presence, that you would fill each person here, opening their eyes and their minds to what you want for them. Lord, bless each person here in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you ever wanted one spot to study the resurrection, this is it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's all there. We don't have time to look at the entire chapter, obviously. We don't even have time to look at what Ben has read. But I thought that it was important to at least read the first 11 verses this Easter morning. Now, our society is really fascinated with death, isn't it? And you just look at what the media covers, you look at the hottest movies out there, you look at the hottest TV shows out there, you look at the video games that are big sellers, you look at all that stuff and they are fascinated with death. And not only are they fascinated with death, they're fascinated with what happens after death. Have you ever seen so many zombie things and like vampire things and all that kind of stuff? They're fascinated with what happens after death. So what an opportunity we have as Christians to share about Jesus, His resurrection, His victory after death. So this morning, I'd first like to point out verses 3 and 4 to help us better understand the importance of Paul's message, verses 3 and 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. This is of first importance. So, how will Paul back up this all important doctrine of the resurrection? Well, ask yourself how you would do this. As a lawyer, how would you go about proving your case as a lawyer? Now, a large part of building a solid case would be that you would call up eyewitnesses to corroborate with your story, right? If you're an attorney, the attorney builds the case by calling eyewitnesses to the stand in order to question them to prove what he or she is trying to prove. That's what they do. And so these testimonies are then submitted as evidence. Evidence as people testify that they are indeed or they were present at that time and at that location of the occurrence, that they were there. And so the eyewitnesses would verify what happened, when it happened, who was there, where it happened, how it happened, and they would go through these questionings as to how all this stuff occurred. Now, if there are no eyewitnesses, what happens? It's a lot more difficult to prove a case if you don't have any eyewitnesses. Right? You can't prove it. No one to give a testimony of what you're attempting to prove. What is that? Hearsay. Dismissed. It's all hearsay. And so Paul's no dummy. Paul's a pretty bright guy. He's a Pharisee. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees. His mentor was Gamaliel. This guy was super bright. He was a cow professor. Maybe some of you are like, really? Never... He wasn't Stanford though. So, and he was a really bright one. He was a really bright guy. So he begins building this case for the resurrection. And you know what? He could have brought anyone to the stand, all these individuals... He could have brought to the stand every individual he was aware of that Jesus Christ showed himself after his death. But Paul doesn't do that. Paul is really selective. Paul is very discerning in whom he's calling to the witness stand. And you'll notice in verses 5 through 7 that he only chooses to call those who are eyewitnesses. And they have some sort of story behind them. They have an incredible story behind them. Now those who heard of Jesus' resurrection, there was many... Everyone he calls to the witness stand has seen him firsthand. These are eyewitnesses. And as many of you are aware, in our weekly Sunday services, we're currently studying the Gospel of Luke. So let me quickly turn our attention to Luke chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And it reads this. And as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. Now, did you catch that in verse two? Eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses. People were there. These are first hand accounts. These people that Luke had interviewed to write his biography of Jesus, they were there. They were there, and they told them exactly what they had witnessed. They were eyewitnesses, meaning they saw what happened with their very own eyes. They're not listening secondhand. They saw it. The Greek word refers to a medical term. It's autopsy. That's where we get our word autopsy from. That's not how you pronounce it in Greek. I'll butcher it there. But autopsy, meaning a detailed examination, And so we know that Luke was a physician, and we know that he was really detailed in his writing of the Gospel of Luke. Just just look a little bit further in verse 3. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So Luke knew of eyewitnesses to Jesus. And he himself followed all things closely for some time past to write an orderly account. This is a physician. This is a person trained to examine things in detail. And so we get our word autopsy from that Greek word autopsy. Oh, how do you? Some of you Greek, Golden Gate Seminary guys, aren't you out there? Autoptase. There's my butcher. Meaning eyewitness. And Dr. Luke is the same writer who is recording for us what we've been studying for over a year and a half. The story of Jesus. And this is really important to point out because there are arguments from people that the early Christians, you know, oh, that wasn't real. They they just experienced visions of the resurrected Jesus. And that that experience, you know, that, that, that wasn't literal. It was just a spiritual thing. It was just a lot of people that were moved because this guy had an awesome life for three years. But according to Luke's eyewitness accounts and according to Paul's eyewitness accounts, these are literal appearances. These aren't spiritual manifestations. These aren't dreams. In last week's message, the text spoke about seeing Jesus. And so I delved into how seeing Jesus is more than just physical sight. It is a spiritual perception. It is a perception. What the eyewitnesses who witnessed the resurrected Christ saw, that was not just a perception. That wasn't just a spiritual perception. This is a physical sight of the resurrected Christ. It is physical. Now you listen to what John wrote in 1 John 1, verse 1 that which was from the beginning, which we have heard. He's writing Himself. He's writing about Himself. I've heard this. We have heard. Which we have seen with our own eyes. Which we looked and touched with our hands concerning the Word of Life, that is Jesus. He's writing, I saw this. I touched... I, This is not hearsay. I am an eyewitness. I, John, was there. And so this is an eyewitness who is very detailed, explicit, and descriptive in his claims. John is saying, Yeah, I saw him. I touched him. I was there. And he's not leaving anything to doubt of his presentation of what he heard and saw and touched and experienced. This is his first-hand account. This is first-hand reliability that we're talking about here. Credibility. Do you see that this is not spiritual? This is not a spiritual perception. John wrote, we heard. We saw. We looked. We touched with our hands. He's saying, we. It's not just him. He's included in that. He's one of them. And they experience all this stuff together. We have a lot of evidence to prove the resurrection. Yet most who reject Christianity simply don't look at the evidence. That's what it is. Because if you truly research this one subject of Christianity, just this one, it does not matter if you're an agnostic. It doesn't matter if you're a skeptic, if you're a seeker. If you go in looking for the truth, you're going to find it. Now, don't go into it arrogantly because you don't find Jesus that way. You won't find him that way. Because even the most religious people weren't able to see Jesus. Isn't that right? The Pharisees and the scribes, right? They they weren't able to see Jesus. They were arrogant. And, And when he was directly in front of them, he couldn't even see them. You just look at those guys. See, we need to approach Jesus with humble curiosity a genuine one and and i'm confident the truth will be revealed to you as you continue to wrestle with all the data that is presented to you and and all the research that is before you now there's a really good simple short book written by lee strobel for any of you interested in the resurrection and it's entitled the case for easter pretty cool name the author was an atheist He was an atheist, he was a skeptic, but he used his journalism background and his law background to take this journalistic approach to the subject of the resurrection. And so he was the legal editor of the Chicago Tribune, and he received his law degree from Yale. So we're not talking about a dummy. This guy is super smart. So pick up that book. It's $2.99 on Amazon. If you can't afford it, I'll pay for it, right? $2.99, I can do that. Just don't buy a case, I can buy you one. But there are a ton of good books out there about the resurrection, and I'm just going to recommend this one because it's short, it's fast, it's a quick read, it's a good intro to the topic. Pick that up. If you have any doubt about the resurrection, pick that up. Now, rather than continuing to look at other books of the Bible or other books entirely, let's just go to our original text this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and pick it up at verse 5. And we're going to examine the dependability of the evidence Paul recorded for us. Verse 5, And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Now Cephas is another name for Peter. Same Peter that walked on water, that Peter. Now before we get any further, I'd like to remind us Christians who have heard the Easter story just over and over again, and who are familiar with the Bible, to approach today as a foreigner. Like, you've never heard this before. Like last week's message, that Samaritan leper in last week's study. If you don't know what I mean, listen to last week's message. Sometimes, we get so accustomed to Easter messages and Christmas messages that, you know, we're just kind of here. And we check out during the service. Wake up! Right here! Okay. Listen! Because this is the most important thing! Pretend you're a bunny or something. Put the ears up or just do something. Here we have Peter. Peter. When did Jesus appear to Peter? We know it must have been after Jesus appeared to the Marys. Right? Mary Magdalene and the Marys. Because according to Mark chapter 16 verse 9, Jesus appeared to her first. And we know it must have been before Jesus appeared to the two men on the Emmaus road. Because those two guys said in Luke chapter 24 verse 34, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. So we know he's right in between. He appeared to Mary Magdalene first. He is right there. And then these two guys on the Emmaus Road. So Simon is also another name for Peter. I don't know what's up with Peter and all his aliases. I don't know. I'm Peter, a.k.a. Cephas, a.k.a. Simon, a.k.a. I walked on water, a.k.a. I put my foot in my mouth a lot, a.k.a. Junior high girls freak me out. And we're going to get into all of that in a little bit. So that's when Jesus appeared to Peter. But Why did Jesus appear to Peter? Why? Why did Peter get this special private appearance? Because Jesus appeared to a bunch of people all at the same time. Why did Peter, a.k.a. I got the answer right about Jesus being the Messiah, get this private showing? Peter knew Jesus was the Christ, right? The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record when Jesus asked His disciples... But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. Matthew's Gospel account goes into a little more detail. Matthew chapter 16, verses 16 and 17. Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now can you picture Peter after Jesus said this to him? Right there in Caesarea Philippi? And he's there, and he's saying all this stuff, and Peter's like, oh, (laughs) shucks. No, I, I know, I'm awesome, I know. Peter got that right answer, right? But then a few verses later in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, Jesus rebuked him. In Matthew's Gospel, it's recorded for us starting in verse 21. Man, Peter, a.k.a. foot and mouth, shows up again when Jesus told His disciples that they would fall away from Him. And it's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we'll look at Matthew again since it gives us more color of what happened that night. Matthew chapter 26, verses 31 through 35. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of Me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. That's the background of Peter beginning to prep his foot to go into his mouth. He's just oiling it. She's just getting it ready, all tasty and stuff. And you, you go a little bit forward where he actually inserts that foot into his mouth, and here it is found in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Looking at Matthew again. And here we're going to meet Peter, a.k.a. Junior High Girls Freak Me Out. Matthew 26, verses 69 through 75. Now Peter was sitting outside the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus he denied it before them all saying I do not know what you mean and when he went out to the entrance another servant girl saw him and she said to the bystanders this man was with Jesus of Nazareth and again he denied it with an oath I do not know the man after a little while the bystanders came up and said to Peter certainly you too are one of them for your accent betrays you Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. If the resurrection is not true, if it is not a fact, how is Peter's transformation from a man afraid of junior high girls Cussing up a storm to try to prove he's not part of Jesus' crew, to becoming one of the leaders of the early church. Do you see the picture of a totally dejected Peter here when the rooster crows? When he can't even stand up to junior high girls? So, without the resurrection, this is where Peter would have stayed. He would have had a phobia of junior high girls for the rest of his life. That's where he would have stayed. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 5 tells us he appeared to Cephas. Jesus appeared to Peter individually, personally, because after what he did, Peter needed Jesus to show up so badly. Peter messed up big time. Remember what he said? Jesus, these guys, they're going to take off on you, but not me. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to cut off somebody's ear if they could try to come take you. I'm going to stay right here. He couldn't even stand up to junior high girls. I give Peter some credit. Who could, really? All right? Come on. Seriously, who could? Teenage girls are tough, man. I don't blame him for cussing at all. He had to deal with two teenage girls. You cuss, Peter. You cuss. Have you ever been confronted with two teenage girls? Have you? You'd probably cuss too. Oh, man, he's so stupid. The teacher's so stupid. What do you mean you weren't with him? What do you mean? I, I saw you. I saw you. Who, who are you playing? Who are you playing? His hey, sister, come here. No, uh you're so stupid. You can't even talk right. Your accent's stupid. And Peter's like, Man! Bleep, 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 bleep. Like, ah! That's what teenage girls can do. And I'm going to have three. So... They're all two years apart, you know? So, so I'm going to have three at the same time. Lord have mercy on me, right? And then when I'm up here and I start cussing in my sermons, you know why. Because I have three teenage girls and if Peter was allowed to cuss, I'm going to do it up here. So Peter messed up. And he messed up big time. He didn't know what he was, what he said he would do. He didn't know all this stuff. He acted all big, you know. He's like, Man, not, I got some game, Jesus. I'm going to protect. I'm going to hold. Man, he ran. He ran right. And so, how gracious and merciful and kind and compassionate of Jesus to specially appear to Peter, Peter, who talked that big game. You know, Jesus is so good. How many times have we messed up? And we are Christians. And we've been following Jesus a long time. And right now, maybe we're just messed up. We, we, we continue in our lives. Maybe our marriages are messed up. Maybe our family life. Maybe we have some addictions. Maybe we have some different struggles. And we struggle with porn. Or we struggle with all this and all and we, We're just messed up. We messed up big. And Jesus came looking. And he's coming to look for you. He's looking for you. There's a special appearance for you. And he appears to us when we least deserve it. Peter doesn't deserve this appearance. What did he do? He denied Jesus when he needed him most. Jesus asked for him to just just pray for me. He, He didn't even do that. He just fell asleep. And so I find myself so undeserving of the presence of Jesus. And my sin drives me away from him. But how often he has come to me in my darkness, in my brokenness, in my rebellion, through his spirit, through his word, through his church. How many of you have messed up big? And you're in this time frame of these three days where you're just kind of moping around. And you're like, yeah, I denied him. Peter is gone from everybody. He's not with anybody. He's isolated. He's just kind of off. How many times have we messed up and we've messed up big and he came to look for us and you've denied Jesus, you've abandoned him and you've deserted him and you don't deserve his love but you'll find that you'll receive it because no matter how far you've strayed, he's after you. He's looking for you. He's right there. And he'll appear to you as you open your heart to receive his word and Jesus wants to appear to you reappear to you he wants to speak to you this morning he wants to comfort you he wants to forgive you and empower you only as god can what did jesus do for peter and what he did for peter he has already done for some of you some of you have already experienced this and for those of you who haven't encountered him yet he's looking for you how many of you were saved by encountering Jesus? And if you're here this Easter morning, I would think a lot of you. I sit on the board of a rescue home for sex-trafficked girls. And so currently we have 14 of them there. The youngest one is 11. But while I was there about a month ago, I met a 16-year-old girl rescued from Southern California. And so we were at a table, and she told me, Jesus saved and I was thinking, oh, that's, that's great. And, and I automatically thought, because I didn't have my spiritual eyes on, that she meant that Jesus saved her out of her prostitution, out of her slavery. She caught me and she said, no, no, no. Jesus saved me from hell. Jesus saved me spiritually. Spiritually. And so all the while, I thought she meant of being a sex-trafficked girl. And and so she's clarifying to me what she's meaning about everlasting life and and eternity. This is a 16-year-old girl. Been there less than a year. And Jesus appeared to her spirit, and he appears to her in his word, and, and, and she studies it daily, and she was telling me about her devotion that morning and that she is saved. Yes, she was saved from trafficking. But she found her spiritual salvation in Jesus. To have the depth of spiritual maturity she has as a 16-year-old girl, that is unusual. That is someone who has truly encountered Jesus. She's met Him. See, Christianity is not about you accepting Jesus, and then from then on out, everything's just happy. Everything's fine. No problems in the world. There will be a series of failures in your life. There will be a series of setbacks, a series of disappointments, frustrations throughout your life. I guarantee it. Where will you go with them? Jesus sought after Peter after this epic failure. He's available for you too. Jesus didn't appear to Peter because he deserved it. He appeared to Peter because Jesus loved him. And he knew Peter needed him. And you and I don't deserve Jesus, but he loves us. And he knows we need him. Even though some of us may deny him, just as Peter denied him. And he appeared to Peter. Then to the twelve. Now obviously there weren't twelve left, right? Right? Judas Iscariot is no longer with them. Doubting Thomas is not there either. Paul is using the term 12 as he's referring just to the disciples, kind of like how we'd use the term church. Right? There are some people that attend here and are congregants here that aren't here, but we would still use the term church even though they're absent. Or the term team. Like You have some team members who aren't there, and some individuals of the team might be missing, but that's how you'd, you'd refer to your team. That's my team. So Jesus appeared to that intimate group who followed him for three years and who were going to be instrumental in the evangelism of the gospel. Paul wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter two, verses nineteen through twenty. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Jesus appeared to the twelve, the apostles who were part of the foundation of the church along with the prophets. They were eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus. They saw Him, they touched Him, they communicated with Him. Again, how do you explain a group of guys who took off when Jesus was imprisoned, and they were scared for their own lives, and they are transformed into people who would be the foundation of the church? How do you explain that? These guys fled. They ran. They went into hiding. These guys were like Peter. They deserted Jesus. They denied Him. And He appeared to them. See, something transformational happened to them. They witnessed firsthand the resurrected Jesus. The church was founded upon these eyewitnesses. There's no way that you would start a church if you knew that that guy died and he's not coming back. You wouldn't pretend Verse 6, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So Paul is clearly giving us evidence to prove the validity of the claims of the resurrection. He appeared to Peter, who was a coward, and now he's this bold leader in the church. The same with the other apostles, except for Judas, who killed himself. And just to let you, Corinthians, and the world know, there are over 500 brothers who were eyewitnesses to this, and most of them are still alive, and you can talk to them. Do you hear the boldness of his letter to the Corinthians? He's saying, Jesus has showed himself to over 500 people. They're still alive. Go check them out. They're still there. You can go talk to them. Some of them have fallen asleep, meaning they have died, not like some of you. Are, come on, come on, come on. come on. They are still alive if you want to interview them. They're still there. So for the Christian, this is kind of what death is like. You, you fall asleep and you wake up and you're in your heavenly throne. Paul was giving them facts. Paul was writing, those people are alive for you to talk to. Go. Go talk to them. Ask them about the resurrected Christ. This stuff is not made up. There's over 500 brothers that saw the same thing. At the same time, they can corroborate with the story. There are hundreds of people who knew Jesus died. Thousands. But there's a group of them that He reappeared to. Now how did this once defeated group of people transform from defeated people to bold messengers of the gospel? How did that change within them? The resurrected Jesus appeared to them. That's why. If there was no proof of the resurrection, they would still remain those defeated people. Now back to those guys on the Emmaus road in Luke chapter 24. These two guys are talking with one another, and Jesus showed up, but their eyes were kept from recognizing Jesus. Starting in Luke chapter 24, verse 17, Jesus asked them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the one only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. And verse 21 is what I want to highlight here. But he had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Verse 21, you notice that word hope was in the past tense? We had hoped. That's a big deal. Because it shows us that what these guys hoped for was in the past. It went by. It was gone. And what they had hoped for didn't happen because here they are moping and they're sad and they're walking with Jesus not knowing who he is they hoped Jesus would be the one to redeem Israel but after his death and before realizing he resurrected these guys are totally defeated they're totally sad you notice that what was hope before is now skepticism and so you look at Luke 24 verses 10 through 11 Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them as an idle tale, and they did not believe Him. This is before Jesus appeared directly to the apostles. And you see how skeptical they are. They don't even believe Jesus' biological mother. Right? An empty tomb didn't cause them to believe They did not want to believe. These guys are hiding out. They're freaked out. They're scared. They're wondering what's going to happen of them and and, and not knowing what to do. How did they move from this fear and disbelief and visionless living into boldness, faith, and a mission to change the world? How did that happen? It's the resurrection of Jesus. That's the only reason. His physical appearance before their very eyes. And you notice that they were faithless at this point before they saw the resurrected Christ. Their faith was nothing. And their faith didn't make Jesus appear to them. They didn't have anything left. Jesus' appearance revived their faith. That's important because skeptical people want to believe that Christians and people like us, that we're just foolish. And we're just kind of fooling ourselves into believing. We're just making ourselves. And it is not so. These guys refused to believe. They didn't want to believe. They didn't believe the women that were eyewitnesses to the angel telling them that Jesus was gone. They didn't believe Jesus resurrected even though the tomb was empty. These guys did not want to believe. They were defeated. It was only when Jesus Himself showed His resurrected self to them that they believed. See, true disciples of Jesus... We don't have to psych ourselves out to believe idle tales. We don't have to work ourselves up to have faith in Jesus. Our faith is rational. Our faith is based on factual history. Our beliefs are founded on evidence, reason, and logic. It is the evidence that has produced our faith, not the faith that produced the evidence. Does that make sense? What happened to produce such faith in the heart of these fearful and defeated followers of Jesus is that He rose. It's not that they made themselves. It's not that they psyched themselves out. What was the evidence that proved true to blow their faith out of this world? A resurrected Jesus. How do we explain an empty tomb? How do we explain the explosion of the Christian church? Jesus resurrected. And if you want to prove Christianity false, I'm going to give you a way to do that. You prove the resurrection false. That's what you do. If you have a a friend out there who says that oh, Christianity is false, just ask them, prove the resurrection false. And then everything falls apart. But if in that research you're probably going to prove that it's true. And based on your newfound proof, that demands a decision. And so whether you stay in your unbelief or you believe, you have to make a decision now. See, that's what happened to Paul who wrote Corinthians. Now, we all know that evidence itself does not equate to belief. Don't we? Because we're all guilty of this. We all know that exercise and eating healthy is good for our well-being. We all know that. Yet how many of us don't exercise? You don't have to show me your hands. I, I know. I know. Everyone in the medical community knows that smoking is hazardous to your health. Everybody. The entire world. Yet how many millions of people smoke? The second leading cancer for women is lung cancer. Smoking. We all know that. Evidence itself isn't enough to change how people live. It isn't. Because people continue to smoke. People continue not to eat well. People continue not to exercise. It's not enough. No matter how much you know something to be true, and you even accept those facts, and they're scientific, and they're proven, it doesn't change how you live all the time you still continue on. And I can show you evidence upon evidence as to why Jesus' resurrection is true. And you can accept that as fact. But it doesn't change your life and you just kind of continue living as you were. See, something spiritual needs to happen inside of you. You need to pray in faith that the Spirit fill you. You need to confess your sins and and that you need Jesus to atone for your sins. The evidence of the resurrection won't necessarily change you. It helps you to firm up your newfound conviction that Jesus indeed transforms lives and He changes lives, but it won't change you. Verse 7, Then He appeared to James. Now, most believe this James to be Jesus' biological brother, Jesus' younger brother. And I think this too, because Jesus' brothers didn't believe in Jesus. Look at John chapter 7, verse 5. For not even his brothers believed in him. His own blood. His younger siblings who grew up with Jesus their entire lives did not believe in Jesus. Now, how can this be? How can this be? And actually, this happens all the time, doesn't it? Some of you may have siblings who aren't Christians, regardless of how much Jesus has obviously transformed your life. Yet they still haven't come to believe. And so for 33 years, this is Jesus. Jesus for 33 years is doing some incredible things. In the last three years of His life, He's done incredible things. Yet His own brothers don't believe Him but you see how the resurrected Christ changes even his own brother's mind who rejected him for 33 years? You see that? How did his mind just change like that when he's never believed at all? See how powerful the resurrection is? You see how true it is? A brother who doubted him his whole life and didn't even bother to show up when he was dying. And he's not only a follower, but, but a contributor to the Bible in that he wrote the book of James. Jesus appeared to his biological brother, James, a brother who refused to believe in Jesus his entire life until the resurrection appearance before him. And I wonder what Jesus said to him. James, what up, bro? <laughs> he's just going about, hey, hey, what up, Jesus. Oh my God! Jesus Christ! Yeah, yeah, I am. I told you that. I've been trying to tell you that for years. Oh, golly. Finally come to your senses. How, how are you? See, his brothers rejected him. Right, And how gracious and, and merciful and forgiving is our Lord Jesus. I wonder what his brothers did when Jesus was being tried and beaten and spit upon and, and then ultimately killed. And they're probably all hanging out, right? They're all probably hanging out, with the brothers. And, and they're all thinking like, man, that crazy old brother of ours, man, he still thinks he's God. What's now, what, what what'd you hear? He's getting beat up by the Romans now? Man, what a dummy. Why can't you just kind of like get along with everybody? And, you know, he's just going to get a little beat up. They'll let him free in a little bit. He didn't do anything. He's just crazy. What? They're going to crucify him? See what that crazy guy got himself into? What an idiot. You're going to go? I'm not going. What if they associate us with him? What if they beat us up? I don't want to get killed. That crazy brother just... We gotta figure out how we're gonna take care of mom though, because she believes him. Here you have a, a picture of a pretty distant brother to not be at another brother's trial, torture, death. Right? Because typically in this culture, man, you got your brother's back. It's kind of the same now in some cultures. Most cultures. You got your brothers back. If someone has beef with your brother, you're there. It doesn't matter if he's right or wrong. You're there. If your brother gets into a fight, you're getting into a fight. That's how it is. Isn't that true for you siblings? And if you're saying no, man, you're a weak sibling, man. Come on. You can't back up your own brother. Come on. I have a sister. She's not even my brother. I have a sister. Try starting something with her see what happens she's right there in the back seriously my whole life you can ask her anytime in my whole life anything happened to her i'm there i'm there and not only me i got all my cousins i got thousands of cousins Right, we, They'd come up from San Diego. We'd live two hours away. I'm like, yeah, someone got beef with me. They're here in like an hour. I don't know how they did that. They're, they're there. But go, she's right there. Try something with her. My dad would go Hong Kong Fu on you because he's right next to her. My, my mom will go Tiger Mom on you. She's right next to her there too. Yes, I'll go Ninja. You're going to see me there. I'll be so fast. I'm mean, going to here. boom, I'm going to be over there. Family has each other's back. That's just how it is. You got your brothers back. These guys are nowhere in sight for Jesus. Nowhere. The only blood family around Jesus at the foot of His cross was His mom and His auntie. Read it. It's in John chapter 19 verse 25. That's it. None of His brothers were around. Are you kidding me? That's why Jesus had to commission John to take care of His mother in John chapter 19 verse 26. They weren't there. They weren't there. And they probably didn't even know that he was going to be crucified because they probably didn't even care. They didn't even care what would happen to him at his trial. They probably didn't even know all this stuff happened. How could Jesus go show his resurrected self to James after James so wronged him? The grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of Jesus. Man, if that was me, I'd be like, Hey man, you had your whole life to follow me. It's too late. I'm going to take your mom. I'm going to take our auntie. The rest of you. So lucky that I'm not God, huh? I mean, man, I got problems. But that's not Jesus. Jesus showed up to James. That same brother that denied him his whole life. There's no doubt James repented. There's no doubt James repented. And Jesus extended His love and His grace, and James finally accepted it from a family of disbelief, except for his mother and his aunt, to this in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and His brothers. Isn't that incredible? They denied him his whole life. And here they are. He appeared to his brother James, and James must have worked overtime for the rest of his family. And he must be You know that thing that we were saying about our crazy older brother? I take it all back. I take it all back. He's not crazy. We are we're the crazy ones he was telling the truth man he was telling the truth and he's resurrected and i know you might think that i'm now crazy i'm not the only one he's appeared to hundreds go talk to them go talk to them and all these scaredy cat apostles aren't scared anymore they aren't hiding anymore they're out there preaching the gospel And James is saying, you know what, I I didn't believe in him just like the rest of you didn't, but he appeared to me. He appeared to me. And so that's what we're to do as Christians, where Jesus has appeared to us, that he's entered us, and he's transformed our life. And we are to share the gospel with others. If you are scared, you'll have those feelings but the boldness will overwhelm you that you have to. If you were like Peter, if you were like James, if you were like the apostles, if you were like the five hundred, you have to. Because that is so much of a greater pull for you to do that. We're not just to come to church and just to study and pray and then keep our faith to ourselves. We are to share the gospel with the world. Making disciples around the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Verse 7, Then to all the apostles, in the book of Acts, there were 40 days in which Jesus appeared to His apostles. 40 days that He's been doing this. Eyewitnesses upon eyewitnesses. Why does Paul present all of these eyewitnesses to us? Because evidence for the resurrection is important because it's foundational to Christianity. The resurrection is the most important doctrine within christianity you prove it false everything else goes away there is no redemption without jesus resurrection there is no gospel without the resurrection jesus is alive we don't serve a dead god there is evidence there's historic proof to christianity so with that paul asks for cross-examination he takes a seat let us pray Lord, thank you for your servant, Paul, and what he has recorded for us. Father, the evidence is overwhelming. It is there for us to find. I do ask, God, that for those who are seeking that evidence, that need to be shown facts and empirical evidence, that that is given to them. But more importantly, Lord, because the evidence does not change and transform the heart, that you would fill them. That you would change them. That this wouldn't be just something where, you know, they would continue on with their smoking, they would continue on eating unhealthy, they would continue on not exercising, even though all the facts are laid before them. But that this would be transformational in their life. God, thank you for those stories of huge transformations to, to Peter and the apostles and to James and appearing to 500 people all at once. God, may you change us. May you transform us to be people who are shy about sharing your gospel to people who are bold to share your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.